All right. Thanks, Luke. Before we get started here, I just want to say how honored and delighted I am to be part of this very first town hall for Capital Club, but more importantly, to be talking to you, my fellow glitches in the matrix. You may not realize it yet, but you are part of a revolution that Capital Club is starting. Now, what we're going to be talking about today is your roadmap to money in the 2020s. But before I get into that, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Now, the things that most people know me for are some of the things that Luke mentioned. I'm the inventor of the tracking pixel. I started the first ebook publishing company, the first ad tracking company. I've written over a dozen books and print in 25 languages. Some are used as university textbooks around the world. Started over 30 companies. One of them shot to the number 36 most visited website on the planet within 30, well, within six weeks, I believe, of its launch. Something I'm going to be teaching people how to do, all the Capital Club members, by the way. But one thing about my past that some of you don't know is that I was once a member of the military intelligence community. So I have an insight in the way the world operates that people outside of the intelligence community don't have. And I'm going to be bringing a little bit of that insight into what we're going to be talking about today. Because really what we're going to be talking about today goes far beyond your roadmap to money in the 2020s. It extends beyond the 2020s. And it goes way beyond a roadmap to money. What I'm going to be doing is taking you on an intellectual journey of sorts that will help you see the world in a different way. But I've got to do something that I need your permission for. I'm going to scare you a little bit. Now listen, before I scare you, I want you to understand that I don't want you scared. I want you prepared. As fellow warriors in this revolution that we're all starting together as members of Capital Club, you need to be combat effective. And being scared is not a state of mind that is conducive of combat effectiveness. I need you prepared. But before I can prepare you, I need to scare you. And you'll understand why I say that here in a few minutes. But I need all of you to give me permission right now. Yes, Mark, it's okay that you scare me a little bit. Okay, so before we go forward, I want everyone to type in, yes, yes, scare me. It's okay. All right. So now that I've got your permission, now that I've got your permission, let's dive into it. Now, before I scare you, I need to open this up with a little bit of a story. After serving as an enlisted soldier in the military intelligence community, I was selected to go to something known as officer candidate school. The uh, soldiers among the enlisted are often selected to become officers to lead their fellow men and women. And when I was not getting my teeth kicked in the dirt at officer candidate school at Fort Benning, Georgia, I often spent a lot of my days in an iconic building known as Building Four, Building Four. Now, Building Four is famous because a lot of the great generals of history have taken classes in that very same building. They have walked those same halls that I walked. And in fact, if you've seen some of the great battles in the news over the last decades, I can guarantee you that many of the leaders of those battles walked those same halls. But there's something about Building Four that most people don't know. Behind the scenes, we didn't call it Building Four. We called it Building Snore. Why? Because as passionate as I am about 
military strategy and tactics and military history. Some of these instructors suck the life out of these topics. And when you were exhausted after getting your teeth kicked into the dirt all day, it was absolute torture to sit and watch these classes. We were doing what we had to call fighting the Z monster. We had to struggle to stay awake. One day during officer candidate school, we were sitting there getting ready to fight the Z monster again. And a very special instructor walked into the room and we knew before that man even opened his mouth that this was a different kind of instructor. You could feel it in his energy. And before he uttered a single word, everybody was sitting up a little bit and everybody was looking around like, what's, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is different. This instructor, who we later nicknamed Yoda, pulled the cover off a chalkboard, took a stick and slapped it against the chalkboard and read the words on the chalkboard. And the words were, what is the single distinguishing characteristic of a leader? And in that moment, everybody realized, whoa, this guy is not playing. This guy is not playing. One soldier raised his hand, another fellow officer candidate, and said, uh, communication, sir. And Yoda says, oh, really? So you had a catastrophically bad battle plan that was destined for failure, but you communicated it perfectly to your soldiers. I see great things in your future, officer candidate. Next. And the next guy raised his hand, gave an answer, and one by one by one, he shot our answers down, and one by one by one, he murdered our egos. And in that cruel tutelage that Yoda gave us, he gave us the greatest gift we could possibly get because he gave us the realization that we were not ready. We were full of hubris. We were attached to our egos. We did not ha know how unprepared we were. This exercise went on for an excruciating 90 minutes. And at the end of those 90 minutes, a silence fell the room. Nobody had any other guesses anymore. And Yoda said, really? Really, you all are supposed to be the best of the best of the best of your collective units, and you can't answer the single most fundamental question about the nature of leadership? God help us. You're all going to be leading our young men and women of this nation into a desperate struggle for the fate of this nation, and you can't even answer that most fundamental question. And we all understood in that moment that he was right. He was right. And then he asked us, he said, shall I put you all out of your collective misery and tell you what the single distinguishing characteristic of a leader is? And everybody was like, yes, for the love of God, please put us out of our misery. He flipped over the chalkboard and on that chalkboard were three simple words. See the battlefield. See the battlefield. You could hear in the room, a silent phenomenon, a phenomenon that I would call epiphany popcorn. You could sense people's minds going pop, 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 pop. Everybody suddenly realizing, oh, it doesn't matter if I'm really good with the M16 or the M4. It doesn't matter if I know how to drive a tank. It doesn't matter how well I can shoot, move, or communicate. If I can't see the battlefield, as a leader, this is the one distinguishing responsibility that we all have. 
The soldier on the ground does not have that same responsibility that we do. He only has to be concerned about his sector of fire. We need to see the big picture. Now, if that doesn't make sense to you, I want to give you a metaphor to help drive home how vitally important this is. I want you to imagine that you're playing a game of darts, but you're playing this game of darts with a blindfold on. You're playing a game of darts with a blindfold on. And I'm going to tell all of you watching right now, all of my fellow glitches, that that is the game that you are playing. And I'm not telling you this to be demeaning to you, to patronize you, but to tell you it is something that binds us all as human beings. We are all playing darts with a blindfold on right now because we cannot see the battlefield of the world as it is right now. And by the end of our time together, you will understand exactly what I mean by that on a very, very deep level. And it's going to change the way you see not just the battlefield, but the whole world, and hopefully the course of your life in a moment. Now, I want to show you what the battlefield that we are on right now looks like. And it looks like this. You are here. You are here. What is this? This is the bottom of the slope of an exponential growth curve. Now that sounds like a lot of big words. And it may not make a lot of sense to you right now. But I'm going to give you some examples to help you understand. And as we go, your understanding is going to get deeper and deeper. And you'll understand the dire importance of what we are doing as this beautiful community of Capital Club. The first example I want to give you is this. If you were to take every paradigm-shifting discovery or invention throughout history and put it on a graph, it would look like an exponential growth curve. This is one of thousands of ways this phenomenon of exponentiality is manifesting. Another way of looking at this is something that I call the great doubling or the great halving. Let's talk about halving. The time in between a paradigm shift throughout history has been cutting itself in half. Another way of looking at that is that the pace of technological change has been doubling throughout history. Hold that thought for a minute. Let's look at another way that this is manifesting. Many of you may have heard of the phenomenon of Moore's Law. Now, technically, all of my fellow nerds are going to say, look, this is all about transistors, but let's simplify Moore's Law. The simplification of Moore's Law is that computers are getting twice as fast and half as expensive every 18 months to two years. And this has been an uh, astonishingly predictive phenomenon over time. That trend has continued from the dawn of the invention of the computer, and it continues today. This, again, is one of many, many ways that this phenomenon of exponentiality is manifesting in the world. Now, I want you to take that information, and I want you to tuck it in your back pocket for a minute. I want to take a little slight detour and talk about a phenomenon of cognitive science. There's something known as the magic number seven plus or minus two. It's from a very famous cognitive science paper from Princeton University, and it talks about our conscious working memory. The average conscious working memory can only hold about seven bits of data, plus or minus two, so that means it's a range between five and nine if you were to plot it out on bell curve. Almost every human can only hold about five to nine bits of data in conscious working memory. This, by the way, 
is why phone numbers all around the world are about seven digits long. That was by design. Before we had phones that we could store these numbers and we had to memorize them. And you couldn't give somebody a, a number that was too long to memorize. They had to make those numbers around seven digits. That's why. Now I want you to hold that thought for a moment, tuck it in your back pocket. I want you to juxtapose it with a very famous quote from the former CEO of Google, Eric Schmidt. He said in 2004 something very profound. He said, every two days now, we create as much information as we did from the dawn of civilization up until 2003. That's something like five exabytes of data. Let me repeat. We create as much information as we did from the dawn of man through 2003 every two days now. Now think about this. If you go all the way back to the beginning of recorded history, pre-cuneiform writing, and take all of that data, and you put that on a drive somewhere, all of the data up until the end of 2003, it's about five exabytes of data. By 2004, every two days, we were putting that much information into the stream. Now, if this were a linear growth curve, this is what it would look like. If that trend of every two days, five exabytes of data had continued, it would be a linear curve. But it's not linear, it's what? It's exponential. It's exponential. Not only is the amount of data that we're dumping into the stream increasing, the rate at which we're dumping data into the stream is increasing, and it's increasing exponentially. I don't even know the word for the number that is being dumped into the stream today. I don't know if anybody knows. It's so fast now. It might not even be measurable. Now, I want you to take all of this and juxtapose this information. Take the magic number seven and take this exponential trend of the information explosion and you have what I call the complexity gap. This magic number seven, it doesn't change. It's a constant of human consciousness, but the amount of data is increasing exponentially. There is a gap between how much information you can handle and the amount of information in the world, and that gap is increasing, and not only is it increasing, it's increasing exponentially. This explains part of why you are playing darts with a blindfold on right now, but it gets even crazier. And I told you I'm gonna scare you. And some of the things I'm gonna be telling you here in a few minutes, it's building up to one really scary thing and then an even scarier thing. And if you're not scared, you're not paying attention. But I don't want you scared, I want you prepared, right? Now, before I scare you a little bit and simplify this a little bit so you can understand it a little bit better, because I know that this is a lot of information that's a little bit heady, I want to contrast my worldview with a lot of my fellow futurists. And I'm not going to name them, but there are some fellow futurists out there who will tell me in private conversations, Mark, you worry too much. Exponentiality is just improvement over time. Improvement over time. Yes, everything is changing exponentially, but it just means everything's getting exponentially better. And to that, I say, you, my friends, are reckless. You're not paying attention to a phenomenon that is very common in science. It is called the law of unintended consequences. If you think that everything is getting better and better and better and that that will continue, 
you are not a very good student of the history of science because every scientific advancement has come with unintended consequences. And it gets even crazier than that. But before we get to the really crazy stuff here, let's simplify this. Let's make it easy to understand because this is so much, we've got to really kind of distill it down to something that everybody can get. It's what I call the big five phenomena. If you really want to understand what's going on in the simplest possible terms, everything in the world is getting faster, smaller, more powerful, more available, and cheaper. This is the big five phenomena. This is the big five phenomena. And it's happening so fast right now. We are now experiencing a paradigm shift in one field or another every single day. Now, those are probably just words to you right now. I want to really drive home the meaning of those words so you can understand how dire it is that you under, not only understand this, but prepare yourself for this because I don't want you scared. I want you what? I want you prepared. And by the way, the members of Capital Club are going to be more prepared than anyone else. This is why what we're doing is so important. Let's take a little journey through history and look back at something that happened in history that was a paradigm shift. Archaeologists will tell you that when humans invented agriculture, everything changed. Now, why do they say that? Because if you look at the Latin root of the word civilization, it comes from the word kiwis, which means city. So when they say, when we invented agriculture, everything changed, what they really mean is no agriculture, no cities, and no cities, no civilization. That, my friends, is a paradigm shift. That single paradigm shift is what spawned all of civilization. That is the magnitude of the importance of a paradigm shift. I'm going to say this to you again now with this new context. We are now experiencing a paradigm shift in one field or another every single day. Do you understand now how all of us as humans are playing a game of darts with a blindfold on? We're all playing that game because it's impossible for us to keep up with all of these paradigm shifts. Even guys like me who are studying these phenomena day in, day out, cannot possibly keep up. Now, if we had more time, we'd talk about nanomaterials, AI, 5G, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, for all of you members of Capital Club, I will be getting into these things and the enormous implications of these technologies in great depth. That is one of the many, many gifts that are going to be bestowed upon you as a member of Capital Club that are going to prepare you for what is coming, this freight train that is heading towards humanity that is exponentiality. Let's go back and simplify this again. Let's talk about the big five phenomena. Everything is getting faster, smaller, more powerful, more available, and cheaper. Now, buckle up, my friends, because here's where it starts to get scary. This is everything, including weapons technology. Now let's drive this home. What do we mean by that? Everything is getting faster, smaller, more powerful, more available, cheaper, including weapons technology. Let me give you one example. We now have 3D printable automatic weapons, if you weren't aware. 
you can download the plans for these. And I'm going to give you a little foreshadowing of the scariest part of this that we haven't even got to yet. You know what the governments of the world are saying about that? They tell us, ah, that's okay. All we have to do is outlaw the distribution of the plans for 3D printable automatic weapons. And I'm going to give a Yoda-esque, oh, really? Because we tried that with digital downloads for music and movies. Did that change the rate at which people were downloading for free illegal music and movies? No, it only accelerated after that. Hold that thought for a minute. Now, I'm going to scare you in a minute in a way that, that is going to blow your mind. But then I'm going to lead you to something that is going to, to, to leave you astonished. Okay? If everything is going in the same direction, if it's getting faster, smaller, more powerful, more available, and cheaper at an exponential rate, if we have 3D printable automatic weapons now, how long before we have 3D printable weapons of mass destruction? Think about the implications of that. Think about the implications of that. Now, if that does not terrify you, when we get to the big crescendo here, you'll understand why. Remember, my friends, you are here. You are here. You are at the bottom of an exponential growth curve. Everything is happening at an exponential pace now. Everything. Now, remember, I don't want you scared. I want you prepared. Now, how do you prepare yourself for this? Well, one of the ways that you will prepare yourself for this, something that I will get into deeper for the members of Capital Club, is something called the Stockdale Paradox. Admiral Stockdale was a very, very famous warrior who was shot down over Vietnam. He lived for several years through one of the most difficult things a human being can experience. He was a POW, a prisoner of war for several years, and he made a profound observation while he was a prisoner of war. He found that the people who were most likely to survive the POW experience had a paradoxical combination of two psychological traits, and those were a combination of optimism and realism. Optimism and realism. The people who were pure optimists were not prepared. Why? Because when the reality of the difficulty of being a POW slapped them in the face, that optimism caved and those people crumbled. Now, the people that were only realists eventually devolved into becoming pessimists. And pessimism is a blindfold that prevents you from seeing opportunity. You need to possess the yin and the yang of both of these psychological traits. This is the Stockdale Paradox. Again, something we will get into deeper as Capital Club members, as fellow glitches in the matrix. But you might be asking yourself, Mark, you keep telling me I want you prepared. Well, prepared for what? It's a really good question, don't you think? Well, it's for what I call the great conflict of the future. Now, I'm not talking about World War III. Some people think that we're already in World War III, okay? I don't know if that's true or not, but what I can tell you is the great conflict of the future has more profound implications for us as humans than even World War III does or would. The great conflict of the future is not ideology versus ideology. It's not religion versus religion. Certainly not race versus race. And it's not even nation state versus nation state. The great conflict of the future, my friends, my fellow glitches, is fast-moving tech versus 
slow-moving government. Remember the government's answer to 3D printable automatic weapons? Do you think that they are ready for this rapid pace of technological change? They're still debating gun control. That's last century's debate. That's last century's debate. We as human beings are now in an era where technology is evolving faster than we can control it. And it's evolving faster than our wisdom to be able to understand how to wield it without destroying ourselves. That, my friends, is the implications of the battlefield that we are on right now. And that, my friends, underscores the importance of this mission of what we are doing together as fellow glitches in the matrix in Capital Club. Remember, my friends, you are here. This is just the beginning. If what you saw over the last couple of years astonished you in the rapid pace of technological change, you better buckle up because you ain't seen nothing yet. Because why? This is not a linear growth curve. This is an exponential growth curve. If you thought fast change happened over the last couple of years, what happens over the next few years is going to blow your minds. You need to be prepared. Now, I want to ask you, are you prepared? I think you're probably not. And again, I'm not patronizing you or talking down to you by saying that. I'm just saying that's a fact. None of us as humans are prepared. Now, I have a hypothesis that I will get into more deeply for all of the members, but I will give you a glimpse of what that is. My hypothesis is that what you need to do is build what I call the three essential hedges. Now, they're called essential for a reason. Imagine it as a wheel with three wedges. If you have an incomplete wheel, if you have only one of these hedges, the wheel doesn't turn. If you have two of them, the wheel doesn't turn. If you have all three, only then does the wheel turn. Does it allow you to move forward, which is what you need to do? What are these three essential hedges that I believe you absolutely must build? Again, we'll get into this far more deeply inside the member area of Capital Club. But hedge number one is that the only assets that matter are skills, knowledge, and health. Now, I'm not telling you not to become rich, okay, by any stretch of the imagination. I want each and every one of you to become millionaires, at least. And that's something that Capital Club is going to prepare you to do like no other place on the planet. But you have to understand the reality of that and the spirit of what we're doing in Capital Club, which is a spirit of openness and honesty, honesty and transparency and reality. You have to understand that your assets can be seized at any moment. Your currencies could be rendered valueless overnight. You will be left at some point potentially with only your skills, knowledge, and health. And the kind of skills and knowledge that you will be learning inside Capital Club. You will also be learning how to radically boost your health inside Capital Club as well. Hedge number two is to build what I call a lifeboat business a lifeboat business. Now, a lifeboat business is a business that has three facets. It's pivotable and it's built upon systems and culture. What do I mean by pivotable? YouTube is probably the greatest example of this. You may not know this, but YouTube was actually a dating site when it started. It absolutely failed as a dating site, but they decided to pivot. They decided to pivot. Most businesses, when they fail, they just shut down. If you pivot, you can stay alive. You have the systems, you have the culture, you may as well use that, build upon that. Don't start from scratch again, pivot. 
Now listen, you're in an era now where your marketing model could be rendered obsolete overnight, where your business model could be rendered obsolete overnight. You must be pivotable. That is a lifeboat business. Hedge number three is big tech marketing independence. And I would go even a step further and say you need to have big tech independence. Why? Because you probably know someone, if it didn't happen to you, who built a business based upon big tech and then on the capricious whims of some person inside the, that company might have said, you know what? Your ad account is no longer acceptable. We're going to cut the lifeblood off your business overnight. And what are you left with in that moment? You have to build independence from that. And the independence that you will build from that is from something that I call integration marketing. Something, again, that you will be learning far in far greater detail inside the Capital Club member area. And the fundamental basis of integration marketing is a network. It's a network. Capital Club is building the largest decentralized network of entrepreneurs in the history of the world. You cannot find a better place to prepare yourself in Capital Club. Capital Club is also going to be teaching you how to create, multiply, and preserve your wealth so you are ready to weather this storm so that this freight train headed towards humanity does not run you over, but you are prepared and ready. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Luke, who is going to show you a few more of the ways the Capital Club is going to prepare you for the future.